How's everybody doing? Good. All right, let me ask you again in case you were intimidated to respond. Um, how's everybody doing? Good. Awesome. All right, we're going to go to Scripture. We're going to, we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture this morning, this afternoon, um, but uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time in one passage of Scripture that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17, and it says this. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to gather as a people and under your lordship. And as we approach your word, we pray that you would give us soft, open hearts to hear your voice speak to us. We desperately need you to, Lord, meet us now. God, we need to hear your voice. We need to understand your truth. We thank you for your presence here, that you said you would not leave us as orphans, but that you would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us, and you want to reveal Jesus to each of us. You want to illuminate the scriptures to our hearts, and we say, come, have your way. We thank you, Father, that we can encounter you in the fullness of your love and your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I was reflecting on um, a pretty significant uh, moment in my life that I think about. When I think about it long and hard, I realize that had I chosen a different direction at that moment, I actually can't conceive what my life would have become. Um, I, I don't see how my life would have materialized into what it's become now if I would have chosen differently. It was actually when I was 18, um, I had been accepted to Ohio State University and I moved out to Ohio, to Columbus, Ohio, that summer. I remember it was still very surreal. My mother kind of looked at me like, so you're really leaving, you know? Like, I'm, I'm getting ready, I'm going to the airport, I pack my things, and I'm 18. She was like, this is really happening. I was like, yeah, this is really happening. And so I went out that summer. Uh, I was gonna be a part of this six-week mission trip experience that was rooted in Ohio and went to various parts of the country and then eventually in Mexico. And then I was going to start college. And now here's the interesting thing. I had zero peace from God to move to Ohio. Zero. I'm telling you, I prayed multiple times for months. It's a big decision. Every time I checked in with the Lord, it was like, no, you need to stay in New York. What did I do? I went there anyway. I was like, I'm done with New York. I just need to get out. Uh, also, uh, it was like a, a dream of a lifetime it wasn't just a great university that I got accepted to, but also, more importantly for me, I was invited to be a part of this ministry. We were going to be traveling all over the country, all over the world, um, preaching the gospel. At the age of 18, I knew I was supposed to be doing this since I was 14. It's like, done, no brainer. Yet, I had zero peace from God. 
By the end of that summer, despite amazing things that God was gracious and kind to let me see and let me be a part of, I had to come back to New York. I could not live with the absence of peace. Um, had I stayed there, I don't know how I would have met my wife. I mean, God could do anything, but I just can't connect the dots, how? Um, would I have the kids that I have now? Would I be right here pastoring this church that I've been uh, pastoring in, here since July of 2013? Like, I, I don't see how so many amazing things would have happened. I share all of that to tell you this one phenomenon I noticed. You say, man, that was a lot to, wait, wait till I tell you what I noticed. <laughs> I had friends that during that time would actually go to Ohio and they actually uprooted and lived there. They left New York and they would go live in Ohio and call it home. Um, and I noticed something. If you grew up in New York, there's very little chance that you are gonna be a passionate college sports enthusiast. We don't care here. Like, literally, people, if you ask them, like, does St. John still have a team? We don't know, you know? Like, it just doesn't interest folks here. We care about our professional teams. I don't know why, because they torture us, but that's a different story. But in the Midwest and other parts of the country, they're all about college sports. It's religion. And I remember this one friend, Puerto Rican dude, like me, left New York, went to Ohio, and when I saw him, I heard him talk about the Buckeyes, Ohio State. And I looked at him, I was like, man, you betrayed us. <laughs> Some phony stuff. You know better, you know your roots. It's not my fault they don't have a professional team, but you, you root for, anyway, I share all that to say that we'll always be formed and influenced by something, whether we want that to be the case or not. If you put yourself in certain environments around certain relationships, you will be formed by that, whether you choose for that to be the case or not. It's going to happen because the reality of our lives is that it's not a question of whether we're being formed by something, it's what's forming us, what's influencing us. And God's designed our lives in such a way that he designed our lives to be formed by something because he wants to be that something. He designed our lives to work best when he's the one forming us, but unfortunately, Along our journey, oftentimes, so many things end up pushing God out of that place, and they become the dominant things that form us and shape us. And today, what we're going to be talking about is this idea of what would it look like for us to be formed and shaped through God's Word. It's a simple concept, yet it's a profound concept, and it's something that's sorely needed in all of our lives, if we're going to do the things that we've been talking about in this series. The title of this series is Sankofa. It says African proverb, this, this story of a bird that can only learn to walk forward as it looks backwards. And it's this idea that we've been wrestling with is that if we're gonna move forward in having an intentional relationship with Jesus, we can only do so by looking backwards and learning how have people done this before us? When we look back at scripture, when we look back at church history, 
There have been intentional disciplines that the people of God, just like us, have said, I'm going to intentionally devote myself to cultivating these things in my life in order for me to have the kind of relationship that Jesus invites me to have with him. And so if you haven't been here, you haven't listened to the sermons, I encourage you to do so. We've talked about what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, talked about the spiritual discipline of prayer, of silence and solitude, and today we're gonna talk about scripture. And here's where I want us to begin. It's important to understand that even though we can derive so much from scripture, there are some like baseline core things that God intends for scripture to deliver to us. You can get more, and we all get more from scripture. We all get like these kind of side benefits of it, like God wants us to primarily have this, but by us being in the scriptures, we end up finding that we benefit from it in all these different ways. So for example, if you read the Bible regularly, you probably will be a very hopeful person. You also probably will be someone that despite what life comes and throws at you, you'll rebound with a sense of encouragement because you're constantly like re-energized by the promises of God. Yet, even though the Bible can give you encouragement and give you hope, it's actually not one of the primary things that it's trying to give us. We get that as a result, but the primary thing it's trying to give us, I think 2 Timothy 3, these verses really encapsulate it. For one, it tells us in verse 15, Paul telling Timothy this, he says, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. One of the primary things that the scriptures deliver to us and give us and make possible is that you and I can become wise about salvation. We can actually mature in our understanding of this incredible work that God has done to save us, to rescue us. Now, will you be hopeful? Absolutely. How could you not be hopeful when you are acquainted again and again with a God who's trying to save you and loves you? How could you and I not be encouraged? But it's a, it's a result. It's something that is derived from this primary thing that God's trying to deliver to us is making us wise, mature, knowledgeable, thoroughly rooted in this sense of the living God has sought to save me. The Bible is not a self-help book. That should actually come as a relief to us. That when you pick it up, the goal is for, not to, for you to close it and say, now I know what I have to do. And I have my checklist and I just gotta go at it and tackle it and I hope I do it good and if I do it good, I'll get rewarded and if I don't, then I won't get rewarded. Actually, no, the Bible is less about what you and I have to do and it's more about what God has done. He saved us. In addition to that, look at what verse 16 says. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. I love that imagery. I love what those words carry because it tells us something that's very unique and distinct about the word of God. It is the oldest book whose author is still alive. When you read the Bible, it's not like you read a history book. It's not like you go into the, the, the library and pull out an encyclopedia and just read words or facts. No, 
the living God who's alive right now, who breathed his scriptures into creation, into existence, he breathes life into us as we read the scriptures. It's transformative, it's powerful. So no wonder we get encouraged. No wonder we become hopeful. How could we not? If every time we read the Bible, it's like God performing CPR on us and breathing life back into us. But that even that is kind of a secondary thing that happens because some core things that the scriptures deliver to us, look at what else these verses say. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's stop there. The word of God, though it gives us encouragement, though it gives us hope, and though I think it's very appropriate for us to think about scripture as a love letter. It's God's love letter to humanity. If you read it from cover to cover, and you read it honestly, you would have to walk away with this idea of the God that these words describe is passionate about these people. He's spared no expense to rescue them. They are stubborn, they resist him, they walk away from him time and time again, and yet he is persistent. He keeps showing up to love them again and again and again. It is a love letter, but can I give us a different way of seeing it that I think what, this, what these verses describe get us closer to like a core way of seeing the scripture. It's a love letter and it's a training manual. Can you say that with me? The scriptures are a training manual. Now, if you went, let's say you went on vacation, how many like to go on vacation? Some of you need to work on that. You know, <laughs> go on vacation, please. You'd be a happier person. You know, your shoulders would drop down, carrying a lot of stress. And so uh, one of my favorite things to do if I, if I, when I get time away with the family is I like to be by a pool. I don't need a beach, just a pool. Well, because one, beaches stress me out a little bit. Like you go in the water, it's like, I don't need to be worrying about a shark, you know, or I'm not here to fight, you know, like you do you shark, I'll do me. You know, but on a pool, I don't got to worry about that. It's just like, I'm just sitting by a pool. Now picture this scene, you're on vacation. People are by a body of water, pool, beach. And what do people often do? They're reading a book, right? Yes, they do swim too, yes. Um, <laughs> but they're seated by water, all right? Let me be specific. They're on a beach chair of some sort. And what would, wouldn't it be a little weird if you walk past them and you're like, oh, what book are they reading? It was like, it's a training manual on how to operate a TV. It's a little weird, you know? Like, why, like what now? Like they're not reading some love story or some other book. It's like, you're reading a how-to book? that's gonna help you program your TV better or, or help you like install something, like a training manual, it, it would throw us off to some degree. Yet, whenever you and I read the scriptures, let's be clear, we are reading a training manual. It's God's training manual. And he's trying to train us toward a specific end. 
And the training he's trying to give us involves these really incredible aspects of training. One, it says the scriptures are profitable for teaching. So when you open the scriptures, the training manual of God for his people, he's gonna teach us certain things. So we're gonna learn things that we didn't know ourselves. He's gonna increase our knowledge. He's gonna increase our capacity, our know-how, our skill. It's a training manual that is, it's equipping us toward a specific end. But also, look what it says. The scriptures also deliver us reproof and correction. Now, let's be honest. So many of us, rightly so, we go to the Bible for hope, for encouragement. In my years of pastoring, I've never heard somebody say, man, I can't wait to read the Bible. I just need a lot, I want correction. You know, like I just, I just been looking for, just tell me what's wrong. You know, I can't wait, you know, to identify where I'm missing it. We don't, we don't go to the scriptures for that. And yet, God is letting us know, giving us context beforehand saying, if you're gonna read my word correctly, this training manual, I will correct you along the way. Doesn't that unsettle us to a degree? We don't like correction. Our society, our culture tells us no one can correct us. Uh, you do you, your truth, no one can question it. You could have whatever kind of opinion you have on a matter and it's unchallenged. No one can challenge it. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. It doesn't matter if it can like be, this. it cannot be disputed. We carry that over into our relationship with God. And imagine we'll go to God's word. He'll tell us to forgive and we will say no. Not that. Tell me more about how you love me. <laughs> Encourage me. I gotta love enemies? I don't want that kind of correction. But if we're reading God's training manual, he's gonna train us. It tells us he'll train us in righteousness. Which is an amazing concept because the scriptures tell us that righteousness is something that's credited to us by faith through grace it's a status that Jesus declares over us when we put our faith in him. So to some degree, it's something that you can't be trained in. It's received, but it also tells us by virtue of learning the word of God, studying it, we could actually be trained in how to live in accordance to God's salvation, where our behavior, our obedience will mirror God's grace that's active in our lives. So more and more over time, we will look more and more like people that have been rescued by God, that have been redeemed, that have been saved by him. Our behavior will align with that. And lastly, it says, all of this is happening that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word equipped is a really powerful word because it gives this idea of someone being completed, someone being matured for a task, for an assignment, that when they're equipped, they're trained in order to accomplish the assignment that is before them. And so God's word, he intends for you and I, when we study the scriptures, for us to walk away feeling equipped, trained, matured, so that we can do the stuff that he calls us to do. How different 
would our lives end up being if this is how we approached Scripture? If we came to Scripture with this kind of expectation, yes, I'm going to receive encouragement. Yes, I'm going to receive hope, but I'm also going to receive teaching and correction and reproof and training. It's going to equip me to do something. It's training me to apply my life in a very specific way. The scripture is a training manual. And if we spend time in this training manual, over time, we should walk away being matured and equipped to be able to do things that Jesus calls us to do. Uh, one of the, an inspiration to me these last couple years has been the story of this really incredible young man. Um, I don't want to butcher his last name, um, but I think it's like Chris Nickage, but I might be butchering that. But you could look him up very easily um, because he is the first person with Down syndrome to complete an Ironman competition. Um, incredible feat, this young man. Because uh, have you ever heard of an Ironman competition? It's like created by someone who really had a lot to prove, you know, because <laughs> like the Ironman competition is nuts. It's like, we're going to make you swim crazy distance. And then as a reward, when you're done, you're going to ride a bike for like 100 miles. And then after that, you're going to do a marathon or it's just nuts. It's just, and so it's, it's insane for, you know, anyone to do. But now add to that, some of the physical challenges that people with Down syndrome have. Uh, they have lag in their muscular development, and it takes them more time to learn how to do things that you and I could easily take for granted. So before he could actually race on the bike, his journey was significantly more difficult because he actually had to learn how to get on and off the bike without hurting himself. He did all these things that no other athletes that didn't have Down syndrome never even had to think about. He had to do specific things with respect to swimming because people with Down syndrome, they have restricted nasal and airway passages and ear canals. And so if water gets in there, an ear infection for them could be weeks and weeks and weeks and can be actually really serious. He had to learn how to do all these things. And now fast forward, this young man, he tours the country, gives motivational speeches. He bought his own house He's learning actually how to drive a car on his own. He's doing all these things, and he created a foundation. And the foundation, I love the name of the foundation, because it actually communicates his, like, motivating vision for life. The foundation is called 1% Better. Because when they would ask him, how did you do this? He said, every day, my goal and all the training I did was to be 1% better. Every day, 1% better. And over time, the cumulative effect of that, the compound interest, if you will, of 1% better, each day, each day, each day, he was able, able to accomplish something that people prior to him thought could never happen. Could you imagine if when we went to the scriptures and we saw it as a training manual, that we would say, I'm just gonna become 1% better. 1% more equipped, 1% growing in my capacity to do whatever God is gonna instruct me, correct me, reproof me, train me to do. That would, 
absolutely transform our lives. In order for that to happen, we do have to make a significant shift. I'm gonna say something that's gonna, might throw you off for a second, and it's gonna test just how much you trust me. If you don't trust me, I'm gonna say this, and you, some of you are gonna walk out. and be like, man, this was a great church for, while it lasted. Um, I'm out of here. I, I that's insane. But if you trust me and you hang on, you'll realize, oh, okay, he, he did, all right. This is still a good church, okay. You and I should not read the Bible. Should not read the Bible. Here's why. Reading the Bible will never internalize it. But now here's the real reason beyond that. Actually, throughout the scriptures, anytime God invites us to spend time with his word, he never tells us to read it. He tells us to meditate on it. So now, let me calm your anxieties. Read the Bible all you want. It's great. You should read that more than anything. But you are shortchanging yourself if you only read it. Because here's what happens when we only read the Bible. At most, it's going to give us information. It's never really going to form us. We should be going to the scriptures for formation because it forms us into the image of Christ. It, it, it trains us. If you just read it, it's just gonna be information. And information can be dismissed. It could be applied if you choose to. But something that you meditate on, that you internalize, it will shape you whether you want to, whether you want it to shape you or not. There's things that are, that are influencing us right now, whether we want it to influence us or not, it's because it's so internalized. What if we could meditate on the word of God, not just cursory read it, but meditate on it to the degree that then it will influence us even at an unconscious level where it's always at work, it's always in the background, it's always speaking to us even when we're not aware of it. Look at what Psalm 1, verse 1 and onwards say. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, and the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. But look at what Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 says. This book of the law, this is God speaking to Joshua after Moses departs. This book of the law shall not Depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. 
I, I, we would be here for a long time if I gave you all the passages that tell us to meditate on God's word, meditate, to, to sit with it, to speak it aloud, to mutter it, to, kind of like, to just continuously wash your mind and your heart over and over again, to put it before your eyes, to not let it be beyond your sight, to constantly remind yourself. There's so many invitations in scripture to meditate on the word of God. And one idea of meditation when, when in the original language, one of the connotations that the, the original hearers of this, whether they were hearing it in, in Hebrew from the Hebrew scriptures or, or uh, the, in the New Testament language, Greek, um, when they would hear this, there was a, a connotation around the word meditate that for us city dwellers, we may not be aware of. It's the idea of, of what cows do when they eat their food. It's called chewing the cud. Do you know what, you know how cows eat? Some of you are looking at me weird, you know, don't know. Some of you know. A cow will eat its food, it's chewing on grass, and it will chew on it till like every possible nutrient could be extracted from it. You ever seen wheatgrass get juiced? Isn't that crazy? Like, I didn't know that much juice was in it. That didn't look like it had. They're somehow able to extract all of that. So the cow is chewing on it, chewing on it, chewing on it. It digests it. And then here's the fun part. It spits it back up. And then it starts chewing on it again. And it, keep, it does that a couple times until everything is extracted nutrient-wise that can possibly be extracted. Till everything is digested, that it can really be absorbed into their system. Reading won't do that for you alone. Cursory reading, occasional reading, skimming through it. If you do that with the scriptures, it's the equivalent of leaving all these nutrients, these incredible things that can help you and make you healthy and never allow your body to absorb them. So when we're invited to meditate, we're going beyond going to the scripture for information. We're going to the scriptures for formation. And here's something that's important to distinguish. When we talk about meditate, we're not describing something that you'll hear in broader culture. Because when you, when you hear the word meditate in these days, that could mean you're going into some room and repeating some prayers and incense and all these different things. And what's the common thing in those moments? They're inviting you to empty yourself. Empty yourself that you might be filled by the universe or whatever kind of language that they might say. For us, when we're invited to meditate by God, he's not inviting us to empty ourselves and saying, let something fill me. He's inviting us to him that he might fill us with himself. So we're going to him and saying, we're intentionally focusing on him, not emptying our mind and saying whatever comes. No, we're emptying ourselves from distractions that we might focus on him alone, on his word, trusting that he will fill us. And so when we're meditating on scripture, that's the intent. We want God to fill us with himself. We want his truth, his reality, 
to fill us and nothing else. And so if this is God's invitation, if this is what is in store for us, that he invites us to do more than just read scripture, he wants us to meditate on him because that's how we become wise in salvation. That's how we'll know him. We'll get to see his character. The scriptures are the only place where we could actually get to know God as he is, not as we wish him to be. We actually can spend time with him. He can correct us. He could also give us encouragement, hope. If you're here and you're saying, all right, I'm ready to meditate on God's word. Sign me up. Let's go. I want to give you some tools, some ways for it, wherever you're at, for you to step into the pool. And you might be stepping in on the shallow end, and there's deeper levels, but I want every one of us to be able to step into this. So I'm gonna start simple, and then kind of progressively give another tool that we could all grow into. How's that sound? All right, first thing, if you wanna be a person that meditates on God's word, the first practice to begin is to simply allow the scriptures to be read aloud. Just read them or listen to them being read. Here's the good news about this. No matter how busy you are, you could find time in your week to just simply let the scriptures be read to you. You could do it as you're going to sleep, you're going for a walk, during your lunch break, during your commute, now, now, this isn't studying. You're not taking out a commentary. You're not looking at the original language. You're not highlighting. But what you are doing, which is really powerful, you're letting the living God speak his word into your heart. Something will be caught, I, I guarantee. Somehow, in that like baseline practice, he will make sure that his word reaches you. So you could literally say, this week, I'm going to listen to and hear the gospel of Matthew read. And throughout your week, you create pockets of time to do that. Imagine by the end of this week, you've allowed God to speak to you, just conversationally, the way we do. By the end of that week, something will have penetrated. Something will get in there. I, like, I'm starting there because I know how time-starved we all are. I know how busy we are. I know how difficult it can be. And yes, there's different ways to study Scripture that you feel like, I don't have that kind of margin. All right, maybe you don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you can. But I'm not even going there right now. I'm just saying, all of us, let's just dive into the pool. Even if it, on the kitty end. What if it could look like just for us to bake in a practice where you're hearing God's word spoken to you again and again and again? That's one thing we could all do. The second thing that we could do is we could begin a topical study. What, what do I mean by that? I mean that you can go and think about any topic imaginable and say, what does the Bible say about that? And so, uh, the Bible says God is holy. What does that mean? Let me study that topic. The Bible talks about these words like sin, righteousness, faith. What does that actually mean? Let me study that topic. Let me look up every passage of scripture that speaks to this and understand the context of it. Any one of us can do this, especially nowadays with all the resources that are available. Here, here's something that I think we gotta accept as difficult as it is to accept this because it's a hard truth. Biblical illiteracy 
is not justified in our day and age. It's a choice. It's not a default of our circumstances, especially in this country where we're at. There's so many resources available. And, and let's just say you don't know how to start. I want to tell you, you know what's the happiest email a pastor could ever get? Hey, could you give me Bible study resources? Oh my gosh. Like, I want to live another week because I, I can do this longer. You know, like, it's the most encouraging thing. But you don't even, even before you email us, do you know on our website, Pastor Denise referred to it, you can go to our website, resources. There's a ton of stuff there that can help you with Bible studies, all sorts of stuff. A topical study can be done in so many ways. I want to encourage you to do that. Pick a subject and begin to study it. And over time, you will actually be thoroughly equipped in that subject, little by little, 1% more day little by little you will get stronger in that area i want to, to make it even more personal think of an area of your life that represents a pain point for you a struggle and that speaks to you and says that area of my life is starving for god's truth it's an area of brokenness that i need god to meet me why don't you start your topical study there? Whatever that area is, maybe you're saying, man, these days, if I'm honest, I'm just always angry and my anger can erupt. What would it look like for you to actually go to God's word to speak to you in that area of your life? Or maybe it's unforgiveness. You, you just, if you're honest, you're always brimming with some degree of resentment and, and bitterness like you're like that acid is always kind of brimming inside of you. Maybe that's where you start. Imagine if someone went to the doctor and they had pain in their left shoulder. And when they go to the doctor and the doctor says, where are you in pain? And they say, nowhere. Doctor would be like, well, that's kind of weird. You came here, you have no pain. So why are you here? They're like, what do you need? Nothing. That doctor would be unable to help that person because they're not being honest of where their pain is at. Or just as equally confusing and weird as they came, it's like, you know, the pain is really in my left shoulder, but the doctor asked you, say, it's my right knee. Now, what is the doctor going to do? He's going to try to fix that right knee, but that right knee is not what needs help. And so how similarly, when we come to God and we're not honest about our pain, where, where we need him, he has all these resources, all this grace that he could apply in those areas if we just intentionally invite him to do so. And so you could do a topical study on characters of the Bible, on different themes, but also you could do topical studies that actually help you to encounter God in areas where you need transformation. Give you another tool. You could learn to read the scriptures prayerfully. What do I mean by that? mean that you can actually take scripture that either you're listening to, you can take scripture that you're studying in a topical study, and you could actually let it influence your prayers. In other words, you can pray back to God what his word is speaking to you. And so let's just say you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and with each passage, God's speaking to you some really incredible things. If you want a place to start, pray through the Sermon on the Mount. 
it will wreck you and heal you in, in ways like few passages of scripture can, where you're just literally praying back to God what he's speaking to you. Again, all of these things that I just mentioned do not require for you to have a, a theology degree. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have, all you have to be is hungry for God's word. And these ways will, will, will begin to saturate you in scripture and, and create space for God to teach you. And the last thing is you can study it. And by studying it, this now involves you opening some commentaries, going to the original language, consulting with different scholars that have devoted their lives to actually study these passages in depth. They're a resource to us. They're a gift. Uh, it, it's one of the reasons why late in life I've enrolled in seminary classes, just because I want to hang out with scholars. I want to hang out with somebody that got a PhD in studying John 15. Why would I not? Like, you're going to get stuff from that passage that I could never because I haven't spent my whole life studying just one passage or one book. You and I could do that. That sounds like so lofty. It's actually very simple. I'm going to give you a website that has been a huge gift for me. It's called bestcommentaries.com. <laughs> now, I'm going to really surprise you here. Guess what that website tells you. It will tell you the best commentaries for every book of the Bible. Yes, yeah, they deliver on the title. There's no false advertising. Every book of the Bible, it will tell you some of the best commentaries to study that book. And they, they rate them based on whether they're like a very technical theological book. Some commentaries, to be honest, were written like in such a way that only like six people in the world will read them. Like they're very technical, very dense. It's not going to help most of us. Um, but many of them were written in a very pastoral, devotional kind of level. It's very accessible. And by reading it, you're going to find out the historical context. How did the original hearers hear this and understand this? What's the timeless truth that's being told to us, even though we're cultures and thousands of years separated from some of the original moments that we're reading? Commentaries help us do that. Here's a tip. If you spent one hour a week studying scripture like that, in a matter of a couple of years, you will have such an in-depth knowledge of God's word that it will blow your mind away. It will be at a level of most pastors or even beyond. If you just did that, you would think, no, nah, that's not possible. I promise you, it is. Just one hour a week, that kind of in-depth and so hopefully this relieves some stress because you say, I don't have an hour every day. I didn't say every day, one hour a week, one hour a week. You can find one hour in your week. That's like a few shows that you're not even paying attention to that are just streaming in the background. That's a few podcasts of it. You and I can find one hour a week. And again, over time, 1% better, little by little, God's training manual, you will find yourself over time deeply transformed, equipped, to do all that God's called us to do. But here's one thing I'm, I, I'm always trying to be mindful of and cautious of. I said this last week as well. With sermons like this, very easily you and I could be, find ourselves chomping at the bit where we want to go and get started. Like, watch me. This week, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm, 
And that's good and great. But I don't want us to miss one of the greatest motivations for us to read the Bible, period. When we go to the scriptures, we are constantly being exposed to God's redemptive love for us, his overtures of love, his reaching for us, his salvation, his rescue of us. In other words, the, the, the theme, the line that goes through all the scriptures is a God who loves us and is redeeming us through the sacrifice of his son. If you and I get exposed to that and constantly get recentered in that truth, that kind of Bible study will change you because if that is not the underlying motive, then very easily our Bible study can become a way that we get puffed up with knowledge and we become Bible know-it-alls and we go to the scriptures for ammunition to argue with people. We go to the scriptures so that we can uh, remind ourselves of how right we are and how off they are. But that is not God's invitation for us. He wants us to come to his word that we might be reminded again and again and again in the glorious liberating truth of the gospel. If you and I receive the gospel again and again and again, the good news of salvation that's never earned or deserved, it's never achieved, it's received, it's declared over us. That has the power to transform us. I love this quote by Tim Keller that the gospel is not good advice, it's good news. If we go to the scriptures just looking for good advice, we will miss the good news. That it's not telling us what we still have to do. That's not the main thing it's telling us. It's telling us what God has done, what he's done for us uniquely in his son. That kind of motivation, foundation for studying scripture can transform us like few things. I wanna invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward as we respond in these next few moments, the prayer team is gonna be in the back. And as we begin to worship in these next few moments, if the words that were shared earlier resonate, if you remember those words and you say, man, that, I felt like that was for me, this would be an opportunity at this time to go and slip in the back and go and receive prayer um, because of those words that, that they resonated with you. Or this could be a time if quite frankly, you just came in today and you're carrying something in your soul and you need prayer, you need ministry, um, or maybe just the message might've spoke to you, whatever is bringing you to a place saying, I need prayer, all you have to do is slip out of your seat in these next few moments as we're worshiping and go in the back and they would love to pray with you. Could I invite us at this time, could we raise our hands in the presence of God in this posture of surrender this posture of receiving from the living God. And let's worship him. Let's bless him. Jesus, give us hunger for your word, thirst for your word, because it's through your word that we meet you, that we encounter you, that we're formed by you. 
Lord, we love you. We seek you now. Let's worship him together.